0: Thank you uh, Peter for leading us in our worship thus far and shall we continue in our worship by opening the scriptures in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and we'll commence our series by looking at two verses this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work. May God add a blessing to those two verses this morning I grew up in a household home we had two parents and four siblings three sisters and a brother and so the seven of us there was never a dull moment there was always plenty of action comings and goings as well as some demanding challenges and one of the challenges that I as a young person often was confronted with, with was that of being useful, being a helpful member of the family, so that it ran smoothly, the household ran smoothly according to my parents' liking. I really struggle with that at times. I know mum and dad did as well. Now you might understand how challenging this was if you understood that what it was like being a younger brother to my older brother Russell. He often led me into places and mischief that we should never have gone. And uh, he was an expert at making time for tomfoolery and clowning around and a whole lot of else beside. I can well remember on many occasions saying to myself regretfully, why did I listen and go along with my brother on this? On numbers of occasions. And it always seemed that I was the one who got into trouble. It just seemed that way. I seemed to too often disappoint my father over and over. And I was rightly bawled out as the one who disappointed my parents because of my attitude and behaviour and my behaviour. But really, all the time, going through my childhood and into my teenage years, all the time, that was the last thing that I ever wanted to do. It really was. I really wanted at all times, deep down, to please and only do that which would bring honor and worth and respect to my family. But so often in my young years, I seemed to be and do the opposite. Instead of being a blessing, sad to say, oftentimes I was a disappointment. It was horrible because I knew this was all because of my wrong attitude and the choices that I made. Yes, I knew that I was still a son of my father and mother. I was still a member of the Honick household. I knew that my parents loved me unconditionally and I knew that would never change. But I often disappointed them because at times I added very little value to the family unit. My dear people, in our text today, we have a similar image that the Apostle Paul uses to describe those who belong to the household of God. You can be a believer who is useful and honourable, or a believer who is of little use and dishonourable in God's household. You really can. But like me, every true believer, and I know this, and I know you know this, every true believer longs deep down to be used and to be useful to our Heavenly Father in whatever our way He chooses, right? We long for that. Every true believer is a member of God's, as we looked at last week, God's firm foundation, the church, the household of God, and every true believer longs to be a vessel of honor, useful to the Master. That's how it should be, and that's how it is with every one of us who love the Lord, Right? But sadly, like me in my younger years, that's not how it always works out. So let's see how this text addresses that very issue. First point I've got up here is the illustration. A household and its vessels. We see this in verse 20. Now just backing up a little bit for context, we have seen right through Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2 it's for pastors and elders that's what it's primarily addressed to but you know when a text a book a letter is addressed primarily to pastors and elders as these pastoral epistles are it's so that they can be an example for others to follow right so it's not as if any are off the hook here today. It's not as if, oh, that's just for pastors and elders, that's for leaders in the church, and so I don't take that. No, no, this is so that you can follow the example, the good example, the godly example, the right example set by those whom God has appointed over you. And so firstly, we saw in chapter 2 and verse 1, that says, Be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ Jesus. And then it moves to another command where it says, to be a workman who does not need to be ashamed. That's what we looked at last week. And today, our text is, we're to be useful to the master prepared for every good work, we see in verse 21. And so we see there's a theme running through this. And so here in our text today, Paul continues with his instruction to Timothy on how to conduct himself as a leader in the church. How to be useful and fit for the master's use. And how to be an example, might I say, for the believers of Ephesus and for every pastor and leader of a church, how how to be an example for believers to follow. And so the reason Timothy needs this, and we think, well, why on earth did Timothy, he was one whom the Apostle Paul laid his hands on, and, and uh, he was a special guy who was almost an apostle, as it were. He had, he had up front and face-to-face with the apostles themselves. Why on earth would he need this instruction? The simple reason is, as we have looked at on numerous of occasions, Timothy, this younger man, was on the brink of caving in he was on the brink of flagging in his responsibilities as a pastor of the church and of buckling under the, the pressure of false teachers like Hymenius and Philetus, as we have in our text. He was. He was really being threatened, particularly by this guy Hymenius, especially. He just would not let go. He was like a dog with a bone. He wouldn't let go because he's referred right back to in the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy in First Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. And here he is in the second letter, some years later, still hanging around and spreading his spurious teaching. Now Timothy was in danger of becoming ineffective and virtually useless as a pastor in the church. Yet he was to be an example for others to follow. So how does Paul address this problematic issue in the church? He addresses it, as we have seen, by picturing vessels in a large house. Now, when it says large house, it has the idea of a palatial house, okay? One with his grandeur, not necessarily large in size, but one with his grandeur, honor, and respect. Like if you went to Buckingham Palace or some palace house in Adelaide, maybe one of your houses. And so that's the idea. He addresses it by picturing vessels in a large house. That Vessels can be household utensils. And he uses them figuratively for Christians, and especially those who lead or are pastors in the church. Now, as we look into this, some commentators, I will say, suggest the two different kinds of vessels here, that is, the gold and silver ones, and then on the other side, the wood and the earthen ones, or those of honour and then those of dishonour. Some suggest that they are describing believers in contrast to unbelievers. And some very good commentators suggest that. But I would suggest what we have here in both the honourable and dishonourable vessels are describing true believers. Okay? Are describing true believers. Now you say, well, how come you come to that conclusion? Well, let me share with you why I lean in this understanding because as you will note in verse 19, if you've got your Bibles there, you will see there that Paul introduces the elect and righteous church. God's chosen. He says, everyone who names the name of the Lord is to what? Is to abstain from wickedness. So he's talking about believers there. In other words, this clearly infers that some true believers devile themselves by the wrong choices they make. If you want to have another analogy, a little bit like the son of Stan Hornick here did when he was a child under his authority. That's what happens. And so in doing this, believers become vessels of dishonor They're unfit for the master's use in the household of the local church. That's what what it is. And as we see in verse 21, it is a responsibility here. We see a shift. It's a responsibility for these dishonorable vessels or unclean believers, including pastors and elders, I might say, those that not abstain from wickedness to do what? What are they to do? To cleanse themselves. You see that? So they've already been instructed to abstain from wickedness and what they must do is now cleanse themselves. And so here Paul gives us the idea of, of a large house containing all kinds of utensils, ha- having degrees of usefulness within that household. And some are gold and silver, that is those vessels that are honourable and, and set apart for view and, and serving guests. These are the vessels that clearly display the honour and value and esteem of any household. They speak well of that house. Just like if I came to your place and you invited me for, for tea or lunch or something, I would be very surprised. I would be very surprised. It was kind of a, a nice meal that we were invited to even, that if you would put out paper plates and paper cups and plastic spoons and knives or forks on the dining table. It's a given, right? It wouldn't speak well of you. Not that I would judge, but it wouldn't speak well of you and your household. More than likely, this is what would happen. Out would come the fine china. Out would come not plastic cups to drink our uh, drink out of, but it would be nice glass, glasses. A- and you would probably you might even have the silver cutlery out, or at least a nice polished stainless steel. That's what it would be like, right? So this, is, this is the kind of thing that we're talking about here. The wood and the pottery here, vessels... Though of some use, and they are of some use, they're dull and ordinary and replaceable and mostly kept out of sight. This is what happens in a great household or a large household. You know, these are like those, those cheap plastic cups that come and go. And something, as I said, you would never miss if you, they got lost. You just to replace them. Or you'd never use to give your guests a glass of water in. Or maybe a little bit like that beaten up aluminium pot that you might have. You would never use it as a serving dish. For your guests. And so the whole lesson here is that some utensils in the household are valuable and irreplaceable. And they tell a whole lot of the greatness and the esteem and the honor of the house. They hold a place of honor and esteem in that household. This is the lesson here. While others, while others are mundane, are often dirty, replaceable. Never displayed to guests as if they were, and if they were, that would be an act of, can I say, grave dishonor. In other words, to be of most use and value to the master, the honorable vessels have got it all over the cheapy, dishonorable ones, according to the thrust and the direction and the lesson of our text. And this is how it is with believers in the church. This is how it is with believers in the church. Some are more valued and useful, while others are of little value and no use in the assembly, God's household. They add no honor to the assembly or to the master of the house. You see, folks, the church is not only a mix of believers and unbelievers. As I might say, we have in the parable of the wheat and the tares and the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 13 and 24. And that's the lesson in those, that parable, right? Always remember, when you look at a parable, as we kind of have here tonight and other parts of Scripture, there's usually one main lesson. And one of the dangers of looking at parables, and many people do, they go into all the little details and say, okay, what does this mean? What does that mean? What does this mean? Where that's not even the intent of the original author. There's usually one main lesson. It was believers and unbelievers in Matthew 13 and 24. But here, it's the church, as in our text. is a mix of believers who are useful and, dare I say it, believers who are of no use because they fail in contributing to the smooth running and honour of God's hassle. Now, this may sound a little harsh, and it is. It's confronting, isn't it? I was confronted with this when I was preparing it and looking into it but this is a picture that the spirit of god through the apostle presses upon us all here just like there are christians who are who who were not obviously loyal soldiers as we saw back in verse three and four of this chapter, we're to be like loyal soldiers that's the illustration he uses and so obviously if we're we're exhorted to be like loyal soldiers that means that there are christians who are not loyal soldiers And we move on. And just as there are Christians who are not uh, disciplined athletes, as he calls us all to be in verse 3 and 4. And just as there are are Christians who are not like hardworking farmers, who sow the seed and enjoy the results in verse 6. And just as there are pastors who get distracted and fail in keeping the main thing, the main thing that we looked at last week, and they lose the gospel focus that we saw in verses from 8 to 19. So there are believers in the church, God's household, who by their own choices and doing fail to serve and live how they ought to be. They fail to be vessels of honor. You got that? Hence they are not as useful and honorable as they should be to their heavenly master in his household, the local church. So having established this very clear picture of who the vessels are in this large household, it goes without saying that all of us, uh, every true trial of God, should want to be an honorable vessel, right? We want to be an honorable vessel. We don't want to be mediocre and unseen and not used and, and useless, can I say. Every true believer wants to be useful and used of God for his noble and honourable purposes. So it's just like when I felt horrible for being such a pain and of little use at times to my family household. Yet you know what? At all times, deep down, I long to be different. I wanted to please and honour my parents by my choices and actions. I wanted to be seen as one who was useful. And that's what every child of God should be long to do also. Am I right? So this begs the question, how can I shift from this quandary of being a mere dishonorable wooden earthy vessel to become an honorable vessel of gold and silver in God's household? How can I do that? Because that's what we all need to do. That's the whole point of these few verses here. It answers that question, which we all need to take heed of in order to be more useful to our heavenly master in his household, the local church. So it brings us to point two, God's household vessels made ready for use. The assumption here, of course, is set in verse 20 that we've just looked at. And that assumption is we all want to be vessels for honor. In other words, I do not want to be a spiritual rubbish bucket. That is hidden and out of sight and of little use in giving honor to the master's household. A trash can doesn't give much honor to a household. I want to be on the table. I want to be one of those crystal goblets. I want to be one of those silverware, that part of that silverware. That's what we all should want. Not for my glory, but for the Lord's glory, because it displays something of the honor and gleam and esteem and value of the household which is owned by the lord we all want to be as useful to god as we can be pastors want to be more useful in their service we all want to be vessels that bring display and honor to the lord we want to be prized we want to be valued and most beneficial that's what we want to be in the lord's church and that's the assumption here. That's the assumption set out in our text. And now Timothy, the leader, was to set an example for others to follow in this very thing that he was called to do. He is told how he needs to move from being a dishonorable vessel to be an honorable vessel, from being of little use to most useful in the master's household. Now, we're not saying Timothy had slipped into the dregs, as it were, but he was on the brink of that. He was on the brink of that. He was showing timidity and he was showing indicating signs that he was about to become of little use. And so Paul gives the answer and the answer begins with, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be what? A vessel of honor. You see that? Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor. Now, before we look at the three aspects of this change, I I wish to bring it to your attention, a basic principle here that you will know well, but I will remind you of it anyway. When it comes to being an honorable vessel and bringing glory and honor to Christ, it's always wrapped up in one simple thing. You know what that is? Service. Service. Service is the key. Even a text tells us those who will be a vessel for honor and useful to the master will be what? Will be those who serve him. That is, they are those who are prepared for every good work and that's all about service. And so in other words, if you're not cleansed, if you're not a vessel of honor, you are not prepared for every good work that the Lord has for you of course this is nothing new jesus himself had to remind his own disciples and his own disciples had a very wrong idea of what it was to serve him and what that idea was they had a very wrong idea about what it was to be honorable and valued and he told them in mark 10 and 45 even the son of man he said "did not come to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many And I just love another occasion that you all remember well when Jesus laid aside his garments and he took a towel and he girded himself and he washed the disciples' feet. He honored the Father in his serving. He set an example for his disciples to follow. He taught this timeless principle of service. And folks like the Lord, we need and should desire to honour and value and to be useful. We'll only find doing that and serving the Master. So how does that come about? How do we kind of get there? It happens when dishonoured vessels cleanse themselves from these things. You see that? It's when dishonoured vessels cleanse themselves. The idea here is of a of a definite and ongoing separating from anything that defiles and brings dishonor to the Lord. That's the idea here. As in our text, this would include not only the evil being taught by the false teachers, but also those in the assembly who spread such evil. Or talk about such things. The same idea is seen in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7 in another context. Where the saints were to clean out. It's the same idea. The same word used here. By what? By separating themselves from the sin. And I might say the sinning brother. In order to maintain what? Moral purity in the assembly. The same idea. There's a separating. There's a pulling away from. This is the idea here. And here we have is that every believer in the master's house who longs to be a vessel of honor and usefulness must first cleanse themselves. My dear people, I honestly believe we could be vessels that God delights in more and more and be vessels that display and use and glory in if we really got serious in this cleansing action. This cleansing is up to us folks. You see that? You Not know that. Cleanse yourselves, it says. Cleanse yourselves. It's up to us. It's up to us here. Therefore, if any man if anyone cleanses himself this is all about taking that step forward and understanding That we are disappointing the master. We're not bringing any honor and glory to the Lord. Even as a son or a daughter of the living God in his household. This is not about salvation cleansing here either, by the way. Admittedly, we do know that the unbeliever, one who is still outside of Christ, needs cleansing. Needs cleansing of sin, and that comes by God's grace through faith and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's a given. That's a gospel. And if you're not an unbeliever here today, if you've never come to Christ personally, you need to have that initial cleansing. A bit like Peter, remember? Going back to that occasion of washing disciples. Oh, Lord, wash me all over. No, no, no. That's already been done. But your feet need cleansing from the daily defilement. So this is not about the gospel cleansing here. Here it's all about God bought eternally owned believers who have allowed worldliness and sin and mediocrity to wreck their usefulness in the service of Jesus Christ, the master of their household. This is about, all about allowing sin or, the, or false teaching of another believer, professing believer, to, to contaminate and affect our thinking so that we breed dishonor. This is about us needing to turn around, folks. We need to turn around. You need to value who owns you. You need to value and revalue who has redeemed you and the one who eternally loves you. That's what we need to do. And you respond then by cleansing yourself, by disconnecting yourself from evil and error and anything that would stumble us in the world. In other words, we need to keep short accounts with God by confessing our sin to Him who is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's written to believers, by the way, not to unbelievers. One John, uh, one, one, John one eight. This is how we remove, This is how we move from being vessels of honour to vessels to from dishonour to vessels of honour. Because we need to know that God does not use you know what He does not use vessels for His glory that are not separated unto Him, that are not cleansed from from defilement, either by association or by practice. He doesn't use vessels like that. And you know what that would be a wonderful thing happens in God's written when we cleanse ourselves, it would be, isn't it? because what happens the wonderful thing happens when we cleanse ourselves we are sanctified that's what happens we are sanctified now again you must understand that every true believer is sanctified that is we're set apart by God when we first come to Jesus Christ through faith you'll understand this And Paul tells us of this existing condition in 1 Corinthians 1.30 when he says, when we trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, he said, he immediately became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so that sanctification that happens at our salvation is a one-off happening. It's eternally forged in heaven and by God's sovereign will and purpose through his Son. That's happened. It will never be taken. We are eternally sanctified to God. But in our text here, the same initial sanctification is viewed in its lifelong and ongoing usefulness to God in the believer's life. In other words, Christians are not only sanctified by having a right relationship with God, but they are, they are being sanctified as they grow in fulfilling God's purposes of righteous living. This is the meaning behind the word sanctified in our text. The sanctified life is a life that not only has been cleansed at salvation, but also a life that continues to pursue purity and holiness and godliness. That is when we are vessels of honor and fit for the Lord's use. This is when we are useful to the master. This is the second aspect of it. Simple... An ongoing lesson here, folks, is this. If we're not cleansed from error and sin and defilement, from whatever source that may come from, we cannot be living, sanctifying lives, which means we will be of no use to the Lord in such a state. And that's a terrible predicament in a state to be in, isn't it? To be useless, to be of no use. When living in our family home, although I was was a pain at times, as I said before, I longed to be useful and valued as a worthy contributor to the honor and esteem that our home deserved. It did. I was a son of my parents who loved me as a son, and they lovingly gave all of us kids everything that we needed so that we could flourish and develop into mature adults, who would pass on to the next generation a legacy that they had passed on to us. That's what parents do, right? That's what they should do. My dear people, how should any son or daughter respond to such a godly and a loving and a sacrificial environment when we think of what the Lord has done for us? We should respond with gratitude and thanks and service and loyalty to say the least, right? Right? Let's consider a greater truth here. Each one of us have been bought with a price through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. We know over and over that we're not our own. We we belong to him. We're born again as sons and daughters of God's household. We're eternally loved and nurtured and provided for by God who has promised that he will never leave us or forsake us. Now let's ask the question, how should we respond to that? How should we respond to that? Paul, the Apostle Paul knew. He longed to be of the most possible use to God that he could possibly be. He says in an illustrative form in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, let me read that to you. He uses another analogy here to just get his point across he says do you know that in a race all the runners run but only one receives the prize so run that you may obtain it every athlete exercises self-control in all things they do it to receive a perishable wreath but we an imperishable so i do not run aimlessly i do not box as one beating the air But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. In other words, he knew that his response to the Lord, his master demanded he be as useful as he possibly could be. And so he ordered his life. He he conducted his life. He, He disciplined his life accordingly. He wanted and longed to be an honourable vessel, and so he took action. What is your response, can I ask? Are you as useful in the master's household as you could possibly be? Then finally, as a result of changing from being a dishonourable vessel to an honourable one in God's household, we see that we become right at the end of that verse there, verse 21 prepared for every good work my father often used to say practice practice makes perfect especially when I or one of the other children might have been struggling to master some school that could not be learned immediately and this is the same idea for serving the Lord and whatever he calls us to do You see, the word prepared here is similar to the word of being sanctified. It's it's just not a one-off deal, okay? I'm prepared for the ministry. It's a bit like uh, the seminary student who goes to seminary and does a three- or four-year degree and comes out, whoa, I'm prepared for the ministry. No, it's only begun, and it's like every one of us. See, we initially have been prepared. you know that? We initially, every single born-again believer here in this room has initially been prepared in that God has indwelt us. He has given us a new heart. He has given us spiritual gifts. And He's given us a potential to serve Him honorably. But as living out that sanctified life demands, we pursue holiness and live disciplined lives. Being prepared for every good work also involves our willingness to submit our stubborn wills to pursue his purposes. Prepared here means that we submit to God's spirit so that we can use the talents and the gifts and the resources that he's given us. You see, folks, we are saved to serve. We need to be ready to put our hand to the plow in any field of service that he might providentially place in our paths. Go all out to be an all-rounder, I would suggest, for every good work. That's what it says, every good work. And the more we practice at being a willing servant in every good work, the better we will be, the more useful we will be, and the more honorable vessel we will be in the master's household. Don't limit yourself and say, okay, this is a minor area and just cloud out everything else. If an opportunity comes for you to serve whatever it be, you give it a go and you keep giving it a go. May we all desire to be prepared Christians for the master's service. May God bless his word to us this morning.